that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Stephen Means. That's Nathan Baird. And that's Andrew Gillis. This is your Thursday Buckeye Talk. And we, I mean, we're not sure if the roster is completely full or not done or not, because we're not sure what's going to happen over the next six months. But we at least know to an extent what it's going to look like heading into the spring. And so it was time for a way too early projection of the death chart 1.0 for Nathan Baird. That's up on our site, cleveland.com slash OSU. I think the offense went up on Tuesday. The defense, excuse me, the defensive depth chart went up on Tuesday. The offensive one went up on Wednesday. So we're going to spend the next two pods going through that, having conversations about why Nathan came to certain decisions about stuff, whether Andrew agrees with some of those picks or not, but then also some nuanced conversations in some other places and get the text 614-350-3315. You can even give your thoughts there because, listen, you get news, you get analysis. We we mine that for rapid fire questions. Everything you would want, 614-350-3315. We're starting defense today. And, Nathan, let's start up front. And let's start on the edge. Actually, we can just do a full defensive line together. Who are your start? What's your starting four look like, first and foremost, before we get into any more of this conversation? Well, the same starting four that they left off with last year, right? <laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah. it's JT Tumaloao and Jack Sawyer on the edge. It's Tyleek Williams and Ty Hamilton in the middle. And obviously Mike Hall was in that mix too. He's the only one uh, other than Marvin Harrison Jr. that had the option to go to the NFL who uh, opted to come back. And I mean, it was one of the best defensive lines in the country last year. Should be one of the best defensive lines in the country again this year. I I can't remember a time where Ohio State got to, at, at really any position, you know, bring back, have, have essentially the entire unit be NFL caliber and have all of them say, no, I'm coming back for another year. Yeah. Literally, who everybody who played meaningful snaps for them last year was NFL eligible when you think about it. That's crazy that all of them except, uh, except for, for one Sonny. is coming back. Sonny Except wasn't for, NFL. Sonny and Davis and Igbenosin are the only two yeah. who could not have left for the NFL after this year. And the only people who left from that who weren't because of graduation. So you're talking Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, Josh Proctor. Everybody else who had the option to stay or go decided to stay except for Mike Hall. And that's a that's an interesting place to be, though. But especially on the defensive line, since we're talking about that. Andrew, do you agree, first and foremost, that that's your starting group as of right now where things stand? Yeah, this was, I mean, for a lot of this, for when you talk about the defense, I think it's going to be pretty self-explanatory for most of it. I think that there's just going to be a lot of, well, yeah, this guy's coming back and he was really good last year. So here you go. Um, Ohio State's defensive line kind of felt very chalky um, when you when you kind of map this out. I think there's deeper conversations to be had about what the depth looks like and, and kind of how you want to manage that. I think that that when you when you look at the defensive line, obviously the talent is is one thing, but um, I'm curious how you mix in Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Curry, those type of guys. When it is, we've mentioned this a lot, a longer season, and you're going to have to be deeper going in. So that's to me the interesting question. The interesting question isn't who's starting; it's kind of what happens with the backups. 
So right now, the rest of your two deep for the defensive line, Nathan, was on the edge is Caden Curry and Kenyatta Jackson. And I know you mentioned Mitchell Melton as well. Well, you didn't mention education. Maybe we can talk touch on that here. But then you also, in the interior, Hero Canoe, Taiwan Malone, and Caden McDonald. No Jason Moore in that situation. But the, the real thing I want to get at here is they're not going to play a big game until Oregon, I think, I believe. And last year, the first time they played a big game, JT Tuimaloa played every snap. Jack Sawyer played every snap. And for the season, JT Tuimaloa was actually second on the team defensively in snaps with 621. And then Jack Sawyer was seventh with 549. And then on the interior, what we saw last year was it was Ty Hamilton, Tyleek Williams, and Ty, and, and excuse me, and Mike Hall. Tyleek Williams was fourth on the team with 586 snaps. Ty Hamilton played 326 snaps. And Mike Hall played. 368 snaps while also missing a game by a couple of games last year. When we get to that Oregon game, are you expecting this to be similar to what we saw in that Notre Dame game where it's just like the frontline guys are out there and we're not necessarily seeing that depth or does Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry and hero canoe being a year older, Caden McDonald being a year older, maybe open up the world where we're not looking at the end of that Oregon game and thinking, Oh, Jack Sawyer and JT Trimolo, I'll just play every snap. It's a great question because there are some other similarities with that Oregon game and the Notre Dame game. And that being that Ohio state had a buy right after the Notre Dame game this past year, which kind of lets you guys you can push guys a little bit more and, and then knowing they're going to get that extra week off. They have a bye again after the Oregon game this year. So from a travel standpoint, this schedule works out really well. I was actually talking to my boss about this today, looking ahead to travel. I really, for us, it's only like two flights. It's Oregon and Northwestern, and I think. And it's the, the travel is not that bad this year, I don't think, for Ohio State, uh, depending on how you, how you feel about Penn State. So um, – so I, on one hand, I think it could look the same. I think you could just go all in with your big guns in a game like that. However, last year, I think you're the part of the math you're doing if you're Larry Johnson is keeping guys on top of their game for games 13, 14, 15. And then now you're adding, you know, at least one round onto that for a team to make a national championship. You're going one round beyond that. And that may not sound like a lot, but I think the I would be surprised. you got to remember last year the conversation going into the year, at least from Ryan Day's perspective. And I think it was, it was, it was a little bit of a departure from how they had talked about things before. And I think it was, I think it signaled more Ryan Day's way of wanting to do things that, these older guys, now that JT Tuomaloao and Jack Sawyer are going to be third-year guys, and Mike Hall is going to be a third-year guy, all these guys are going to be in the back half of their career, at best. And they thought a lot of them might leave after this past year. That you could trust them to play as, you know, whatever, 40, you know, 50, 60 snaps a game. Well, now, this p- coming year, you're going to have backups in Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry and who are going to be in their third years. Also, like Hero Canoe, third-year guy. Like, there's going to be veteran, really talented guys who are clear backups compared to the guys in front of them. So I think that opens the door to me of still having more of a rotation because as while there would be, you would think, some drop-off there, at some point, if Kenyatta Jackson or Caden Curry and or Caden Curry 
takes that third year jump, even if they're not as good as Sawyer and Tuomelo out, you you close that gap a little bit. And if one of them does that, I think it opens the door for just a little bit more mix and match than we saw last year. I guess same thing on the interior too, because we saw Hero Canoe start to do some things last year. We saw Caden McDonald start to do some things last year. And I think it's a matter of time for those guys to maybe assert themselves more in the rotation as well. Yeah, I think that that was kind of one of the one of the more glaring examples of new guy on the beat looks stupid for me because all year long I didn't see a lot of rotation from Larry Johnson. And I mentioned that and Steven went, oh, that's right. This was your first year on the beat. They don't do this isn't normal. They do this a lot like they they do rotate a lot. And I was like, oh, well, that would be news to me. Um, so but I think you do have to go back to that for a couple of different reasons. Um, you know, you want to get JT and Jack rest. Obviously, you want to get, um, you know, Ty Leak and, and Ty Hamilton some rest um, because of the longer season. You know, you want to get uh, some backups, some reps just because they didn't really play a lot last year. Right. You know, we just mentioned that they didn't really rotate a lot and you want to get those guys reps and you want to be ready for a case of an injury. You want to be ready for really whatever could happen if you need to play these guys. Um, are you really, you know, NFL scouts, when they look at tape from JT and Jack and Tyleek and Ty, they're not going to look at, you know, the only, only the Akron game, right? You know, what are they going to look for? The Oregon game, the Penn State game the Michigan game, you know, big games kind of carry a lot, a lot of meaning when you're going up against NFL players and you've got a lot of film out there. So I just don't think the need is going to be there, especially for how good this team should be. The need should not be there to play Jack Sawyer a ton against Akron, against Western Michigan, against Marshall. Like that just shouldn't be the case. So there, there's a lot that, that I think you could kind of make a case for in terms of this season, but you also want to be prepared for next season. You know, you want to get these guys some reps and are you really going to, you know, are you really going to lose anything if it's 17, nothing against Akron at the end of the first quarter and all of a sudden you start rotating some guys in, if Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry get a series or two in a row, are you really going to hurt? And no offense to the zips, but like you'll be fine. So I think that there, there's just there's too many upsides and there's too many positives to to making it a deeper rotation at end and at tackle for for 2024. One thing I do want to bring up here, and it's just because of how this is kind of set up here. In 2019, Zach Harrison comes in as the top 10 prospect, five star recruit in the 2019 recruiting class, and he plays meaningful snaps for Ohio State, especially later as that season went on. He's I think he played the second most snaps in the Fiesta Bowl against Clemson that year behind, obviously, Chase Young. In 2021, just because of the way the room was set up, you saw JT Tuiamaloau, even as a guy who had gotten there three weeks before fall camp starts, push his way onto the field as a top 10 recruit, five-star recruit. Jack Sawyer started to come on later on in that season as well. They've got Edric Houston as his five-star guy, but as we're talking about, maybe it's not completely the same conversation in terms of route to the field because... JT Tuimaloao and Jack Sawyer are back. Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry are still back. But we're also talking about a year where if you win a national championship, you might play 16 games. And we're also talking about a five-star recruit. And we've seen five-star recruit. The last couple of times a five-star recruit went into that room, they found a way to have a role. Whether it's, you know, 25 snaps a game or six or seven or eight or nine snaps a game, is it – can Edric Houston work his way into this lineup, Nathan? Can he be that fifth guy? To, to the rotation, you mean? Yeah, uh, in the rotation. 
Yeah, I, I think so. Now, you got to remember, in 2019, I'm trying to remember who the other ends were on that team. It was, I guess it was Jonathan Cooper, you know, a very reliable Tyreek guy. Smith. But, but Tyreek Smith, it, it really becomes a, a factor in 2020 and 21 as to why, um, especially 21, Tumalo out was able to start in part because Smith mm-hmm. missed some games. So, but it was a thinner room. It, it was a thinner room in, in those. I mean, because I, I wrote this in, in the write-up that I did for the – for the uh, for that lineup projection, like if Tumaloa and Sawyer had left, especially if just those two had left and everybody else had come back, and now you're sitting here with a room that's like, well, okay, but that sucks. But uh, Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Curry, uh, you know Mitchell Melton still hanging around looking for his chance, and now oh, they just added a five star. Like, wouldn't you think that's still a pretty good rotation of mm-hmm. defensive ends? So yeah. that's what's kind of there's an embarrassment of riches at defensive end right now for this team, and I know that they have not done Chase Young things or Bosa things. And that's I think time has told us that that is a really insane comparison for us to even keep trying to make, that you can be tremendous college players without being among the best players in the NFL or, in Chase Young's case, having just these these ungodly seasons. But they're, in, they're really, really, really good. They're just tremendously good players. And the idea that... It, I think it's one of those things where it, it's a it's a really good problem to have. I didn't put Edric Houston in my in the, on that list, and I now that I'm thinking about it, I think the only true freshman I mentioned on either of my uh, depth chart projections was Jeremiah Smith, mm-hmm. um, because I'm really projecting for opening day. I think later in the season you can start talking about Mylon Graham and, and maybe some other people, but I'm thinking about like who would be on a in a two deep scenario on opening day. And I am open to the idea that Edric Houston shows up and does that. I'm, I'm not disputing that it's possible, but it's more just that it's it's because in the past you would say, I don't know if I want to mention anybody by name. They would have guys who were just like, you know, solid players. And that was like your depth. And I think of Jackson and Caden Curry as maybe a level above some of the guys who were too deep defensive ends in the past four or five years. And that a guy like, Houston coming in just has more levels to jump. The best example of that is Kenyatta Jackson, who is now still going into his third year and has been, uh, as I think, been fine when he has played, but doesn't get a lot of chances to play because he's got two really great guys ahead of him. Where How much more should he play? So that's going to be a tough thing for them to, to figure out, and it makes the room insanely competitive, and it makes... You know, I think you saw this at times, uh, not so much maybe with the defensive line, a little bit with the defensive line. I think you absolutely saw it at cornerback if you go back to like 2020, 21, where the room was thin and it wasn't that competitive as far as like a bunch of really good guys trying to decide who was going to get on the field. And then mm-hmm. when you had injuries on, on top of that, it just it showed in the performance. And I think the opposite happens with, let's say, wide receiver wide receiver, you see it in the performance, that those guys have to prove themselves. You can know that you're one of the best receivers in the country, bar none, and you still have to work your tail off to get any recognition in that room. And I think if you can start pushing more position groups towards that, the the payoff is potentially massive. And I think what's interesting about this roster makeup is how now do you make a – it's a tricky transition a little bit 
You've got guys who are third-year guys, and we've talked before, like guys who are like going into their third year or coming out of their third year, and they don't have a role. They're not playing very much. Are you sticking around? And this whole defense, all 11 starters on this defense might be NFL draft picks next year. So there's a bunch of really good guys who are still going to be kind of blocked off, but it's their defense next year if they stick around. And that it starts with these guys up front. Is Caleb Downs literally the only guy in the starting Downs lineup? Downs would not be. You're right. Just You're because right. he's Benavilla, not eligible. Right. That No, that's that's the – but I think – I wasn't like saying that to undercut you. I was almost saying it to the point of the only reason they won't go 11 for 11 is because one of the guys is a sophomore and can't literally leave. I think that's a wonderful point. Just, I only brought up Esther Houston in this conversation because Zach Harrison played – 243 snaps as a true freshman in 2019. JT Twimaloa played 264 in 2021, and Jack Sawyer played 169. So that that's an average of 225 snaps between those three. Andrew, and I'm just wondering if you had to say right now, and I'm not, you're not marking this down. We're gonna, this conversation will obviously continue to evolve because we haven't seen them play football yet, right? We haven't been in there to see practices and seen all the development they're gonna have over nine months, but. Right now, as we're recording this in January, if I put that over under on 225 snaps, Edric Houston as a true freshman plays this season, would you take the over or the under? That's a good line. That's a pretty uh, great you line. Should let, you should uh, let oh, Vegas know. Like, how many games are you basing that off of? So where'd you get 225 from? So 225 is based off of the total snaps they played. And Jack and, and JT both played 12 games. And Zach played 12 games. They all played 12 games. So this is regular season we're talking about. Okay. Okay, so I would take the under on a regular season. Okay. You're talking about almost 20 a game, and yeah. this is there's just too many other good guys in the room, I think. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, so I think you're probably going under for the for a couple different reasons. Number one, I just I struggle to find the room for him. You know, like there's it's nothing against Edric, and you know Ryan Day said that he was you know he could be a day one player. Uh, but when you've got the guys ahead of you on the depth chart, that's a problem. And I do think Ohio state is probably going to beat some teams to sleep this year. But the question then becomes, do you want to pull a Dallin Hayden situation where if you're not going to play him a lot, you know, if you only want to play him in the game against Marshall and then that whatever, doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't I, matter. I, I understand. I, I don't but, the red shirt thing that they're not expecting yeah. that kid to be here for more than three years. That's a five star yeah. top fifty. Edric Houston's so not coming here for he doesn't need that fifth right. year. No. Yeah. <laughs> well that's, that's like, what I'm saying. But if you're if that. you're there anyway, that's what I'm saying. Like if you're there anyway, like if he's only gonna play in like two or three games anyway, it might make sense to just do it. And then if he has to leave after a red shirt sophomore year, that's fine. You wouldn't be holding him back. I just don't know if it's gonna happen where he would play in four games. Because I think, there's so much I think in he'll front play. of him. No, I'll say he'll, I'm gonna he'll say play under. enough. He'll play I enough. I think he will. I, yeah, I, I, he'll play he's, enough that he's not gonna. It's not gonna be a retro situation. But I, I, I do think it's. I guess I am open to this. I think Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry have been have looked really good in their roles for these first two years, mostly mm-hmm. just last year for Jackson, but but two full years now for for Curry. There's there've been some good things there, but I don't know if I've seen like the special thing happen yet. And I'm not, that's not me saying it won't, but it is me saying that if Houston shows up and is like, uh-oh, that's a thing, then yeah. he jumps somebody. Then he jumps somebody. Um, and and it's no – that's that's exactly what you want to be – that's what you're craving, I think, as a fan of any team. 
is that these guys come in and the the really good guys that you have have to push it even farther because the guy they just brought in is is something else. That's not me predicting that for Houston. And it's not me saying, I mean, the light could go on for Jackson or, or, or Curry in that same way this year too. I think that's one of the reasons why we all have um, such high expectations for this defense now is not just that all these guys came back. It's that all these guys came back and these are the guys who, when you rotate out, all you're, you're going to rotate down to guys who would be maybe starting for every other team in the Big Ten at least a defensive end. I brought up Zach Harrison in this, and I think that's a good comparison here, just because part of the reason Zach Harrison played so much early on in that year, like he played 22 snaps against Florida Atlantic, 22 against Indiana, 23 against Miami of Ohio, 24 against Nebraska. And then when they played like a team people thought were going to be good, and that's Michigan State, he only played 14. And then Northwestern, Wisconsin, and Rutgers, and Penn State, he all played north of 20. Because by the Penn State game, he was ready to be out there and play those high leverage snaps in a game like that. But I think the games leading up to the Penn State game, part of the reason he played so much is because Ohio State was so dominant that Chase Young was playing like a half. So I do think part of this is going to, unless he comes in here and lights the world on fire, which, I mean, this is a top 25 recruit. It's on the table for him to do that. I'm not going to complete. It's a Definitely. top 25 recruit from a very high level program in Buford, Georgia. Very high-level program. So it's not like he's coming in here and having to learn how to play football. So that's on the table. But if that doesn't happen and he just comes in here and he looks like a normal five-star recruit where he's flashing at times, but let's give it eight, nine months to really settle in before it turns into something, I think how much he plays in terms of is he averaging those 18.7 stats per game, because that's what that is, Nathan, over 12 games, is, is Ohio State just dominating everybody? I think that plays a role because if you're up by 35 midway through the third quarter, you're probably not going to have JT and, and Jack Sawyer out there because why would you waste those snaps there when you know on the back end of the schedule you are going to need them to play north of 45 snaps in a game for you. Yeah, This is true, although that's where I think Jackson and Curry would then get kind of their share because they yeah, they deserve fair. to get rewarded. So that's it, it gets tricky. But but no, mm-hmm. you're not wrong about, about the, the potential there. And again, I think as we have looked back, if you were to evaluate Ohio State in these recent years, you can look at position groups that have underperformed, and at almost every turn, you're seeing guys who, and I'm Mr. I don't care about the stars once they get here, but you see guys who were not, where plan A was not to have them starting in a couple of years, and who weren't even necessarily like forcing their way onto the field or to the top of the depth chart. But that was just the option that was there, and they have to play. Mm-hmm. And I think it, we can transition this a little bit to defensive tackle as well because you've got two really trustworthy guys. Trustworthy is, is really selling it short on, on Tyreek Williams especially. But two guys coming back to the top of this that depth chart. And then b- below them, I think we would talk about this defense differently if the guys below that level were like some of the guys who've come through here, like very, very good football players get to their like fourth or fifth year. They've kind of been mm-hmm. just coming along, coming along and they're giving you like steady backup minutes, right? Like if that mm-hmm. was all that was behind these top two guys, we'd talk about this defense a little bit. But one of the reasons why I think this defense is going to be potentially like insanely good is because the guys that you turn to behind those top two is like hero canoe in, a, in another world should be starting this year. He's, he's, he's built this, he's, he's built towards it. Um, what what McDonald started to do last year, like those guys are have really proven that they're ready for the next step. 
but that next step can't come yet. And now you get to use them in a, in a smaller role and maybe get the, the best of them in these games out, out of these smaller roles. So that's why this defense, especially this defensive front, um, just really, just really, uh, I don't even know what else to say about the defensive front. I, they have to figure out what exactly they're doing with linebacker, but this front four, and I don't want to, I don't want to undercut what my call was, but just the, the mm-hmm. relentlessness that you get to put in here. You know, I, I remember when I, I hate making this, I'm going to go ahead and say it. When I covered Purdue basketball, people know people who follow basketball, like Matt Painter is one of these guys that there's always like a seven, two, seven, two guy on the team. And usually there's like two or three. And the whole concept was you rotate that guy in and they can't play. They can't play deep in the games. But if you get like 15 minutes from or 18 minutes from two of them and then a couple minutes from somebody else, you've got the best 40 minutes of center play in the country. And I'm looking at this defensive line kind of the same way. It's like, I don't know when do you give a team a break with this defensive line. It's potentially going to be pretty relentless. Canoe, Canoe and, and, and Caden have to prove themselves a little bit more like to show that it's it's – it is more than just a flash last year, but it it seems like it's it's going to be pretty potent. And then every so often, if you're Purdue, you get Zach Eady, and now you've got Church Young, who's like the best center in the country and the national player of the yeah. year. But even he <laughs> so, doesn't play. Even he doesn't play 40 minutes a game. Those big guys. No, have he to doesn't. Play. And yeah, that's why but, you have to rotate up on the defensive line, even though mm-hmm. Larry Johnson kind of tried not to last year. And I I think it makes this team better. It's 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 hard because I mean. JT Tumaloa not only played all those snaps against Notre Dame, but played made the biggest plays of the game at the end of the mm-hmm. game. So when, in theory, you'd be like, oh, you're just hoping that they hang on at the end because they've got to be winded and tired and banged up, right? And he's out there making the biggest plays of the game. And that, I think, is a is interesting. It shows what he's capable of, obviously. But I still think that if you can give those guys an extra series off early in the game without really tanking uh, your performance there, um, the, the whole thing looks better. But the, that's the thing, though. And uh, the, first, let me touch on the defensive tackle part of this because I think they've got six guys they could legitimately play. If, if Larry Johnson gets to fall camp and he's like, I got six and I'm going to play all six, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. You got Tyleek Williams and Ty Hamilton as your starters. And then you've got Hero Canoe and maybe Taiwan Malone, who's a little bit more comfortable as your next guy's up. And then Jason Moore and Katie McDonald's are getting that mix as well. There's your six. Right there. And to your point, Nathan, Ohio State can put out two different waves of defensive line. And I'm not going to bat an eye at it between the edges and the interior guys. But I think to the to bigger point here in terms of playing these guys as much as they did last year, this is not about the Oregon game, in my opinion. I still whether JT and Jack and Taiwan, Ty, Ty Hamilton, it's too many ties on the interior. Tyleek Williams and Ty, Ty Hamilton play every snap or don't play every step is not the question for me in this situation. It's about when they're playing young, just to go up off 2023 schedule, Youngstown state, Western Kentucky, uh, Purdue, Michigan state, you know, those games where you're probably going to win by at least 17 points in those games. And you don't need to play JT Twimelo out 43 snaps, 48 snaps, 39 snaps. Maybe if you shave off 10 snaps from those games, can you can use them again on the back end of your schedule? That's where having this depth and having guys who are more ready to play, I think, is going to show up more than anything else. We're going to take a quick break. That's the front. We're going to work our way back, and now we're going to have an intriguing conversation about linebacker. Where I think we know one guy for sure, and then that other spot at linebacker is where there's an interesting conversation. And we'll get more to that when we come back here 
on Buckeye Talk. And we're back on Buckeye Talk. We're going through Nathan Baird's first crack, deciding what Ohio State's too deep is going to look like. We're talking defense on this Thursday pod. We'll do Friday. That will be the offensive pod. We're going to do defense for right now. Nathan, you've got Cody Simon as your Mike linebacker. I think we all agree with that. You know, he was the starting Mike linebacker in 2021 at one point before Tommy Eichenberg took it over and then turned himself into a consensus All-American the last two years and a Big Ten's linebacker of the year. He's gone. Steel Chambers is also gone. So there's going to be two new starters there. One of Cody Simon's the Mike linebacker. The conversation is at will. And there's two different ways I want to approach this conversation. There's the who you think is going to be the starting will linebacker. And then there's a what the heck are they going to do with C.J. Hicks conversation? And maybe we answer both of those in one swing and maybe we don't. But let's just start with how did you handle Will Linebacker in this projection? Well, it's tricky. <laughs> and I, I, I think that it's probably so there's there's I think two solutions here. I guess there's I guess there's three. I mean, the, the one solution would be that you say, well, kind of at that theory I was talking about before. By playing Styles and Hancock together, you get the best 60 minutes of nickel safety play, and so be it, even if it means taking one of those guys off the field for half the game. That doesn't sound like the smartest approach, but if you get the linebacker play that you need, then maybe that is the way to do it. I don't know. Then I think there's two other options. One is this more rigid thing like I threw out, and it probably can't be, even if this is what they do, it probably won't be quite this rigid, but where you would play where you'd make Styles a will linebacker and play Simon at, at Mike, and those are your two linebackers, and then Hancock is just a full-time nickel. The thing that makes me hesitate about that is Knowles definitely talked last year because I asked him about something along these lines, and he kind of hesitated as to whether or not you wanted to expose Hancock when you were using the nickel as essentially a Sam linebacker, which is kind of what Sonny Styles was last year. I know that they're, this, we might be getting a little esoteric with this. I hope we're not confusing people too much with those with those designations. Because I know people have texted at us before, like, what's Will, Mike, and Sam? And, like, Will and Mike are the two inside linebacker positions, and the Sam is what Pete Werner used to play before he moved inside, where, you're, where you have some safety-ish tendencies. Um, so I think that the one option is, like, he just becomes a Will linebacker, and now he's a full-time linebacker. Or... I think the third option is he becomes a linebacker, and when you need him to play still more of a Sam against a bigger formation, a bigger uh, a team that, that you need that extra oomph from up front, maybe you put him there, you put some a more true linebacker or someone who's already been a linebacker at will for those. It just seems like they have to move him at this point. I don't think he looked super comfortable last year as a deep safety. I thought he looked fine for the most part as a nickel, but... You look at his body type, you look at his skill set, I just think it makes a lot of sense to start talking about playing him close to the ball at all times, closer to the line of scrimmage at all times, in the box. And if, but is that, if, if, you, if you are going to do that, is nickel the place where you get the best out of him and that is best for the whole team? Or can you, have, have you found that with Hancock, you can actually get, the things that you need. Plus, Hancock is is better in coverage. Andrew, before you go, Nathan, you know what they could have done if Lathan Ransom didn't come back? <laughs> and especially since they got Caleb Downs. <laughs> they could have gone back to the single high safety <laughs> and just had Caleb Downs back there, had yeah. CJ Hicks, a 
uh, uh, Sonny Styles and and Cody Simon out there while your cornerbacks are Jordan Hancock, Davis Igbenosin, and Denzel Burke are your corners. Yeah, and to go from a safety-driven defense to a safety-less defense, I don't think that's going to matter. I think Jim Knowles' Knowles two contract demands to me is hired less. I need $1.9 million a year, and I am not running a single high safety. Yeah, I'm just. I'm, I always think it's funny because it's like they actually have the perfect personnel to do this if Lathan Ransom wouldn't have come back. But Andrew, uh, I don't know if they have the perfect personnel because you have to have three linebackers. I don't know if that's, no, that's what I'm saying. No, no, I'm saying Sonny. No, depth wise, it's not just from a starting eleven standpoint. If Sonny would have just been your Sam, been your Pete Warner Sam linebacker, while C.J. Hicks and Cody Simon were your interior yeah. Mike and Will. That's what I'm saying. That's if why, think, no, they're not. But just from a starting 11. C.J. Hicks, if you think C.J. Hicks is a linebacker still. That's yeah, a let's, put a pin in that. Yep, let's put a pin in that real quick and wrap up this normal linebacker conversation. Andrew, what do you do with Sonny Styles? I move him to linebacker, but I think – the way that the linebacker rotation will work this year is going to be so free flowing, or at least that's what I would do that. I don't know. I, I I don't know if you would classify anyone as a starter because I truly think that it would depend on the week because not to get ahead of ourselves in this conversation, but I think we all are on agreement of who the four other guys in the secondary are the outside corners and the two safeties. So that leaves three. You have a Will linebacker, you have a Mike linebacker, and then you have a nickel. And Ohio State's going to play some teams that, in a manner of speaking, haven't been introduced to the forward pass yet, looking at you, Iowa. Um, That makes sense to play Sonny Styles at nickel that week. Like, that makes sense to have him on the field and more towards the box because Iowa is a bigger personnel. They're going to run it a little bit more, and you want a bigger body out there. So you could go, you know, Styles, Simon, and then C.J. Hicks, and that could be your your tandem. And some weeks you could go Hicks and Simon, and Sonny is kind of coming in in various spots, or you could go... Simon at Mike and Styles at Will and kind of move him around. So whatever role I think he's going to play, I it's got to be closer to the box. It's got to be more towards the line of scrimmage. Um, you want a guy at 6'4", 230 that can move like him. You want him towards the ball, right? Like you want him close to the football because those are the dudes that just can make freaky plays that just kind of make you look at, the, look at each other in the press box and go like, did I just see that? Did he just do that? Like, like that's the kind of athleticism that you would have at linebacker with him. So I think you, I think you move him down to the box. And I think whenever you're playing run heavy teams, you know, I think um, I'm trying to think of it. Like I think a Notre Dame would have been good to use him in that kind of role last year. I think a Michigan would kind of been good to use him in that role last year. Like if you had this defense in the 2023 season. So like just as examples, I think that those are the type of games you want Sonny and, um, you want Sonny and Simon and Hicks on the field. And then in passing situations against Oregon, I don't know how much you're going to play some of these guys. I think you want to put maybe Sonny Styles as your will and then Simon as your Mike. It, it depends on who you think is better in coverage, who you want in coverage against a team like that. So I just think the gist of this is it's going to be so free-flowing and so open that I would kind of move him all over, but in a 
condensed space, if that makes sense. Like I'm moving him out to nickel and I'm moving him to linebacker. And it just depends on what you see from the opponent that week. I think if we get in there for spring practice and Sonny Styles isn't working out with the linebackers, I might be shocked. Yeah, because there's a win. I mean, you opened up the window. They say his position coach. You let you didn't retain them, and you brought in a new safeties coach. And just the way your personnel is set up right now, I am. I would think it would be weird if he was still with the safeties when we got the spring practice, Nathan. So I think Andrew is probably. That's actually maybe the best. Like for this exercise, I had to put people starting at eleven spots. But the the. The end game for what we thought Styles could be was always what Andrew's talking about. The position he plays is Sonny Styles, and you can move, you can line that up in a number of places on any given play. I was also like the, the one, the one hesitation I have that he would be fully moving to linebacker is when I was filling this out, I had to kind of think about who their definite nickel backup is, and. If something were to happen with Hancock, now what are you doing at nickel? Does now do, do you have, you may have to play Styles there again, full time? I think I put Lorenzo Styles as a backup there. I think he did get some reps there last year, and I like his speed and things. But I from the times where you need a linebacker like nickel, as opposed to a safety like nickel or a corner like nickel, then that may not be quite enough. So, I, but I think the answer at the end of the day is is what Andrew is talking about. That don't worry about where he has to fit. Worry about where he can fit on any given play against any given formation, against any given scheme, against whatever you want to do on a on a play. Like he can maybe he can play anywhere from nickel linebacker or Mike linebacker to nickel safety to deep safety if you have to on on certain rotations. Like I think he has that versatility and. It's the he's the now the guy that because you have locked yourself in with such natural starters, clear cut starters at ten other spots, or at least like you know nine other spots, the tenth one being the one that he would then play. Like you get to you can play with this a little bit, and if you have more than eleven guys who are starter quality, which this defense might have, it it lets you mix and match. It's well, it's good. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, like, and I think classifying him as a nickel in certain situations, uh, you know, like I'll use the Iowa example. I don't even know if that would be fair to say that he would be the nickel because Iowa's not going to run like 11 personnel, 10 personnel, right? Like they're, they're running 21 personnel and 12 personnel. They're putting one running back and two tight ends or two running backs and one tight end. Like they're they're having guys in the box, and those are the teams where you there's no slot receiver. So where does that that slot guy go? Where does that nickel go? Into the box. So I think that Sonny, like he could still technically be playing the nickel, and he would have that responsibility and coverage. But he could also kind of fit the look of your more traditional forty three, where you have a middle and two outside backers. Which is why Jim Knowles called it a nickel Sam and a nickel corner and a nickel right. safety. There are three very different ways. Of just, it's just a way for him to send nickel a bunch of times. I have an idea about what you were talking about, Nathan, with who might be the backup nickel. And maybe backup's not the word for this because we're talking about personnel and match, matching up with guys, which they can be multiple this year and try a lot of different things. But I'll save it for when we get to the safety discussion. I'll, 
we have to talk about CJ Hicks. At worst, he's a will linebacker this year, right? I think at, whether he's a starter or not, he's a will linebacker. Maybe we're expecting him to get to get snaps this year. Jim Knowles maybe has more options with this defense and what he wants to do from a snap-to-snap basis than maybe he's ever had in his career, just in terms of the talent and the uh, the guys who are doing a l- bunch of different stuff. You can stick with your normal 4 2 five. You can go three linebacker if you want to go three linebacker. Uh, you can put you can go dime in this situation. You can go dime with only three down linemen in this situation and put the jack on the field. I don't know what to make of what CJ Hicks is going to be, but I know what he could be if they decided to go down this road, Nathan. And I'm not saying that the jack is going to play 75 to 80 percent of the snaps, but I'm open to the idea of. There's going to have to be some conversations between Jim Knowles and Larry Johnson. They're going to have to get on the same page. And yes, you got a lot of talent in that room, but in the name of just being multiple and not showing the same thing over and over again, I think we might see the Jack this year, even if it's only like 15 or 10% of what this defense does all year long. I mean, it's what they tried in, in 22 had, you know, marginal success with it. And it may have been that I don't know if Jack Sawyer was completely bought in and it doesn't sound like Larry Johnson was necessarily completely bought into it. I mean, you can look at this and say, okay, Tuomaloal, Sawyer, and Tyleek Williams, or I guess Hamilton, depending on the kind of team you're playing, and then a Jack. Like, is does that give you some things that are advantageous over just a traditional four-man front? I think it's true. I think the answer is yes. I would like to see them just mix up their fronts more. I think that when Michigan knows that you're going to play a four-man front and they decide to play their seven- or eight-man offensive line or whatever it was at times last year, then it's like the, it's like the best of two things smashing into each other. But what's your like counter-strike? Like, where do you – I just feel like they need to be a little less predictable up front. And they tried it again in 22. They tried it with Sawyer. And there were some intriguing parts to it, but it didn't quite get there. And is is Hicks better suited for that? Would Hicks maybe buy into it more simply because, unlike Sawyer, it would maybe be his only like direct line to playing time if some of these other things play out the way we think they could? I'm not completely convinced, by the way, that somebody couldn't, Somebody couldn't emerge that makes Cody Simon still the number three linebacker. I mean, if 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 if, if Simon or if, if if Hicks steps up in such a way that they're like, okay, well, I think he's got to play, and now Styles has to play. Can one of them be a Mike? I, I I don't know. They both seem much better suited to Will, but I'm open to it. But I I don't really know. I mean, I've just been so I'm so gun shy now about the Jack because he talked about it so assertively when he got here that that was going to be a part of the defense. And it had been a part of the defense the whole time at Oklahoma State and before that. And then, okay, we're doing this thing with Jack Sawyer. But as the season went along, it got phased out more and more. And this past year, it was nothing. It was They they never did it. I mean, other than maybe a couple of dalliances with it. And so is Hicks so good that you have to use this package? But maybe that's not even the right way to think about it. I think the right way to think about it is more like how – multiple do you really want to be how unpredictable do you really want to be up front and if the answer is yes we want to be unpredictable i think you have to do something like this and go away from the four-man look and when you're going away from the four-man with this personnel 
with this roster makeup, I think the Jack makes sense. Makes more sense than just going with like a three-man front and having to put a third linebacker on the field who doesn't do the Jack-like things. I, I think the Jack can be the, a, a really great compromise to a four-man front while still giving you some unpredictability. I, I don't think Jim Knowles has been necessarily wrong in terms of the Jack is going to be a major part of this defense. I just think one thing we have to always remember is when you bring in a guy who's bringing a coordinator like that who has a vision for what he wants things to look like, whether that's offensively or defensively, you typically don't have the personnel on day one to run completely everything that is your vision, even at a program like Ohio State where Jack Sawyer probably never should have been playing the Jack. It's just not his physical makeup. He is a four-down, defensive end, edge setting. So Every so often he'll go get a sack, but that's what Ohio State has recruited. The Jack Sawyer, the JT Tuimaloao, the Chase Young, the Nick Bosa, uh, Tyreek Smith, Taekwon Lewis, those style of defensive ends have what they've been recruiting. They also haven't been recruiting linebackers where if you put them in a 3-4, they're just like the outside linebacker who's just coming off the edge. That's what Alabama recruits. That's what Georgia recruits because they were in a 3-4 situation. C.J. Hicks is probably the first person they've had in this program who fit the mold of what Jim Knowles wants in terms of like five-star high-level talent fit the mold physically of what they want in the Jack. And so that's why I think they're more open to it this year. If CJ Hicks as a true freshman, you just wanted him to learn how to be a linebacker. And then in year two, maybe he's still figuring it out, but also you don't have to play it because you do have depth on your defensive line. You do trust the linebackers who are ahead of him. So you can spend another year with him just learning that. But now in year three, where yes, you still got that depth, but you've got this kid who has spent two years learning this position. And he's a five-star kid with the highest high ceiling as you can think of. And now he's ready to go, right? And you're seeing guys behind him that you can maybe throw into this conversation as well for future discussions, whether it's Arvell Reese. Uh, Mitchell Melton was probably this at one point, but they're probably just using him as a defenseman at this point. But they're, they're recruiting it. Joshua Mickens in the 2023 recruiting club. They're recruiting it. It's just it probably took some time, Andrew, to get around to this point where you actually had the personnel – to execute that that vision so now they maybe can be a little bit more multiple than what we've seen the first two years well i mean if you're talking about the jack um specifically they signed a guy or not signed a guy they have a commit from from a guy that steven and i have kind of talked about to hear mathis who we think that could be a, a future jack at ohio state uh he's the number 38 overall player in the 2025 class and more importantly uh, he's six foot six and 225 pounds. So that doesn't now look, he's 16 years old. He's a junior in high school. Uh, kids can gain some weight. If you hadn't heard from when they're juniors and seniors in high school. And then especially adults when can they gain get weight to too, told what's that I've learned. I said adults can yeah, gain weight. Adult- Adults are gain bad weight. Kids are gain good weight. Yeah. See, uh, yeah. We're not, don't even get into how I gain the weight, but the, the kids gain the weight through lifting and eating power bars, and that is not how you gain weight as an adult, um, unless you're a football player. But that, like, that's a guy who I think kind of fits that that prototype. Like, he's a highly rated recruit. You know, he's like a borderline five star player, but the the archetype of like who that type of guy is like, that's the kind of guy who can play in that type of role because you're right, Steven Jack Sawyer and JT two just don't fit that mold. Like that's not who they are as players. And it doesn't make sense to use them kind of out of position, but with 
bringing in some guys like Mathis, I think you could be more multiple in how you attack teams and, and the way that you present looks to opposing offenses and quarterbacks. But, but here's what's tricky about that, and is one of the things that predates you, again, a little bit on the beat, but that's not really how Knowles talks about the Jack. It isn't that he came no. here and said, like, well, in the future, I've gotta, we've got to start finding Jacks who are top prospects, just like the top prospects at other positions. He almost mm-hmm. talks about the guy who would play the Jack as, right. like, a leftover, like mm-hmm. a cast-off, like a guy, well, we don't really know where he fits. So we yeah. just got to find and like Mitchell Melton. That's why that made sense a little bit that they would look at someone like him like that because he was a linebacker and he was a defensive end. And it's like, well, where does he really fit? And maybe he just didn't. He was just a guy that didn't conform to any specific place, but you could put him there and make him this yeah. versatile piece. And now that I've said that out loud, maybe that is what is the CJ Hicks thing because maybe if you let him develop a little bit beyond what you would want uh, physically a linebacker to do, but he still has the mm-hmm. linebacker background, the linebacker instincts, the linebacker uh, vers- you know, uh, foundations, then maybe that is what you're getting at there. I, I, but I, it is interesting because you would naturally think that, like, oh, they've got to start recruiting guys who fit that mold. It's not really how Jim Knowles has talked about that. It's why we threw out the idea that like maybe like Chip Trainum would make a good Jack because when he was still a linebacker because it was like, well, he's been a running back and now he's a linebacker, but he doesn't play. Like, couldn't wasn't that the kind of guy you would just throw up there and say, let's do some stuff? And that obviously didn't really happen because he ha- he had to go play running back again. But that's why I'm gun shy about all this Jack stuff because I don't know what to believe of what Jim Knowles has told us, and I don't think he's yeah. trying to be evasive or untruthful. It's just that there have been some conflicting information we've gotten over the years. Even going back to the thing where it's like, I mean, in the same press conference, he was or or. I think it was even the same press conference where he's like bemoaning. It wasn't the same press conference. I take that back. But it was in one press conference. I remember him bemoaning, and this might have been last spring, that they ever tried to make Jack Sawyer a Jack and mm-hmm. that it might have thrown off his defensive end development and all these things. So then later he mentions CJ Hicks as a potential Jack. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, why isn't that? the same concern for him. He's like, oh, no, no, it's a different type of athlete, and I guess maybe that's true. But it's just one more example of I don't, until I see it, I don't know what to believe. And when we haven't really seen it. The one thing we did see didn't work out that well. And if it's a thing that doesn't ever get fully folded in until the, a transition has happened from Larry Johnson to someone who isn't as much of a four-down absolutist, then so be it. But for this coming season, as much as as much talent as there is smeared all over this defense, it does make you wonder. I think it's kind of an important question because to get to think that you're going to get through a third year and have someone with Hicks's upside and not ever find a place to use it is bizarre. But he can't just go be a rush end, as we already talked about in the first half hour of this podcast. I know they're, they're full up on rush ends right now. So I, I don't know what's going on there. I think it's an interesting, just, I would love to have this conversation with them because that to your point, he did say that he was like, eh, it, 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 they're two different type of athletes. So it's not really messing it up for CJ Hicks the same way it is for Jack Sawyer, which I think I agree with CJ. When I think of the Jack, and this is just me going off of the way they've talked about it and then going and watching Obviously, you go watch Oklahoma State, how they used it. When I think of that position at times, I think of 
who are some superstars in the last recent years, just in college football, who I who would have been like awesome at that role? I think of like Micah Parsons. I think of Will Anderson. I just think of those builds. It's not about. It's, we're not talking about well, CJ Hicks being as good as those guys. I'm just saying those builds. CJ Hicks is six foot three, two hundred and thirty pounds, according to Ohio State's program. That's the build I think of when I think of the guy who should be playing the Jack. Jack Sawyer was not that. So that's what I, that's what I'm getting at. So what, I think a good question almost would be to ask with Jim Knowles to your point of, is it just a leftover guy or is it like are you recruiting to it? Can you project? that can you project that build on a high school kid and know when he's coming in versus oh we have this guy who's he's 6'3 230 so he's not quite big enough to be a defensive end and a four down front conversation but he's also like kind of teetering on being too big to be a linebacker in this world where your coverage skills matter this is what you get you get jacks you get outside rushing and three four linebackers who are just sack monsters and whatnot I am. I, I almost. I think I'm going to ask Jim those. It's like, can you project that in a kid, and you see, okay, he's going to end up being this tweener physically, where he's a bit of both worlds, and so we're going to take that kid, and from day one, develop him into being a jack versus like taking a guy from a room is what essentially he was doing at Oklahoma State with that talent level, or what he has tried to do with Jack Sawyer and Mitchell Melton. C.J. Hicks was almost like a day one. Uh, development for that Jack position, just like Joshua Mickens will be and Arvell Reese will be. So what happens when you get that world of it? I, I also get the impression, though, that it's not just body type, that there's a <laughs> instincts. Football, and, yeah, yeah there, there's there. It's more nuanced than that. It's because mm-hmm. I think Jack Sawyer essentially has that the right body type too. maybe a little heavier than what they would ideally look for, but but close to it. And if you go back to his the second year version of him, it was yeah, probably yeah. even closer to it. So I don't know that it was necessarily that they can't find the body type, but it, there's something about it, it. It Knowles describes it as being like, well, it, it it's a it's it's somebody who has to be able to like do certain things up there and read certain things and be my eyes on the field, or at least that's what he he hopes it grows into. And I think at the time that he came in, we thought that by now they would have not only would they have a jack in place and have it be like established in the defense. I thought. I think we thought that there would be a Leo by now, which is like the next step beyond yeah. that. That's the thing he's always talked about is like the Leo. It's like the Lord of the jungle. And that guy is just out there as the, as this coach on the field. And it's like, and, and I think the extension of him on the field in real time, I think he thought that we thought that that would be in place by now. Maybe he even thought that that would be at least he said it would take some time to develop it, but now we're going into a third year wondering if they're going to use it at all. And we're almost reverse engineering it because I think we're trying to say, well, they have to use it because how else will CJ Hicks play? Because Sonny Styles has to play linebacker because this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's they don't really make decisions that way. I don't think. I think they make decisions based on well, this is the defense that we need to play to have the most success. Now, who fits into those positions? And if they're not open to it up front completely, then. Uh, I, I just don't know how much to think they're actually going to play the Jack. Jack Sawyer was 6'4", 265 in 2022. So just a little yeah, bit heavier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, that's, it's, it's, it's hard, though. I, I think they in 2022 they just used it as a way that they got this five-star kid who might be ready to play, but we've also got Zach Harrison and JT to him low out. So we got to find another way to use Jack. I don't think they have to do that with CJ Hicks. I just think you could have spent two, three years developing it, and now they can play it. But that just goes back to, which is the whole point of this pod, Jim Knowles has – unlimited options here 
for what 11 guys he wants to put on the field on any given snap. How does he go about doing it and how does he maximize it? And CJ Hicks and how you go about using him and Sonny Styles as a part of this discussion. When we come back, we'll talk about the other position that Sonny Styles might be playing this year because who knows? We're going to take it all the way back and talk about the secondary here on Buckeye Talk. And we're back on Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. We're projecting Ohio State's defensive starters and really not even, I'm really doing the starters. We're just more having a conversation about what we think this might look like and using the format of Nathan Baird on the site projected the 2024 starting defense and we're using that to have a conversation. Andrew Nathan's starting secondary, Denzel Burke and Davison Igbenosin. That's the same as last year. I don't think we disagree with that at all. Andrew's not doing a lot of disagreeing because it's not a lot to disagree about right now. <laughs> it's just they brought back all these guys, man. It is what it is. Starting Bandit, Lathan Ransom. Starting Nickel, you had a you had Jordan Hancock in an oar at Sunny. And I think that goes into the conversation we were having earlier where it's yeah. like, who are they playing? What are they doing? But we know that those are going to be the guys manning that role. And then Caleb Downs, as your adjuster, Andrew, before, I, I have this idea with who else could be playing nickel, but I want to save that for later. Andrew, I want to start with you, and I want to start at cornerback. Davis and Igbenosin and Denzel Burke are your starters. We saw Jermaine Matthews get used in some very high-leverage situations last year because he had to, because guys got hurt. We've heard a lot of good things about Calvin Simpson Hunt. That's four. It's literally the same conversation we had at defense on the defensive line, but now it's at cornerback. 16-game schedule, potentially, where I, right now where I stand, they've got two games that their season is going to come down to in the regular season. Do we see more of a, a rotation at cornerback in those other, like, 10 games? Just because you don't necessarily have to play Denzel Burke and Davis Igbenos in every snap when you're trying to get them through February. I think, I think so. Um, you know, you've got a couple, like, really strong outside corners. you got Denzel Burke. You got Igbenosin, obviously Simpson, Hunt, and Matthews, uh, the outside corners in the 24 classes. Freshman, you got Aaron Scott and Bryce West. So like you've got depth there, which I think is probably the most important word that you're going to use when kind of detailing a uh, you know a college football season. I mean, this is like these guys are now playing the length of an NFL season, and. If you're a fan of an NFL team, you you know how many injuries your team has and you know the kind of things that happens. And obviously NFL teams are more kind of bruised and uh, banged up because they're bigger and, you know, they're men, but um, they all and they're also kind of more open with it. Oh, he's dealing with a back this week. So you, you know it more. But that's the level of play that you're talking about, right? Like this Ohio State team, it's not unreasonable for Ohio State or any other team to play 17 games in a season. And you got to have depth. And I think that you want to have really good depth and you've got Calvin Simpson Hunt and Jermaine Matthews who looked good and you can work those guys in and feel good about it. Um, I think there are going to be games like the Oregon game. You know, I mentioned, you know, by the way, it is funny that Iowa and Oregon are back to back on Ohio State schedule because those two are like inverse teams where I mentioned, hey, look, it's just going to depend on the matchup. How you want to use Sonny Styles? Do you want Hicks? Do you want uh, Do you want um, uh, Cody Simon? Like, who who do you want there at corner? Yeah, you might have Denzel Burke and Davis Ig- Igbenosin and Jordan Hancock, but you might also have to throw out Jermaine Matthews because you might be dealing with four corners a lot, or you might be dealing with four receivers a lot, and it might be more advantageous to you for you to have four corners out there. So. 
again, I think they're they're deep enough to where it depends on the matchup. You can throw out a couple different guys. You can throw out different combinations. Um, Igben Osen's such a good tackler that it's really hard to take him off the field. Um, obviously Denzel Burke is probably the number one corner on this team. It's just Igben Osen does something that, you know, not a lot of corners at any level can do. Um, so that just makes them so unique and so tough to pull off the field. But you're in a situation here where, again, you mentioned they're going to play two games or they're going to, they're going to play a little more than that. I think there's going to be a slip up probably at some point, you're going to play a game that, you know, you're not playing so well and, and you need to pick it up a little bit, but there's going to be time to rotate these guys. It's the same defensive line conversation. There's going to be a time when you're playing Marshall and it's 48 nothing entering the fourth quarter and you can put Aaron Scott and Bryce West into the game. You know, there, there are going to be these times, and I think that with the schedule, with the talent you have, with wanting to get these guys looks for next year too – I think absolutely there's there's a lot of room to rotate. I just and I think that it's gonna depend on the matchup too, because you might play a team that's gonna try to spread you out and you know, that that might be more advantageous to play more corners on the field than not. Nathan, if Denzel Burke had left, would you have batted an eye that Jermaine Matthews was just gonna be the other starting quarterback? No. This is what they've been trying to get back to for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's what I mentioned earlier in this pod where you could go back to twenty twenty, twenty twenty one. Um and maybe even the start of 2022, the way those guys were playing in 2022, it's like you'd look around and be like, well, if these guys can't get it done, what are our options? We can throw this true freshman out there, but he's probably not ready for this, and hopefully he holds his own. And now you've got a situation where it's like Jermaine Matthews needs to be, again, like who in the Big Ten would he not start for probably next year? Sure looks like he's ready. And we'll see more this spring, but it sure looked like he was on a trajectory to be ready. So... There are nine teams in the Big Ten that will not have a cornerback. They like a, a cornerback of Jermaine Matthews' talents may be like unattainable for them. So uh, in a given year, in a given year, not ever, but in a given year, and so that guy now is going to be kind of getting the scraps of the playing of the of, of the snaps. Uh, you know, if all th- if things go according to plan and everybody stays healthy. And is getting those second string snaps, which is fine, still an important role, but that that's where Ohio State's been trying to get back to. Because when was this team, you know, when when was when was this team like turning out consistently great secondaries? It's when you had guys of that caliber who were going to be a year away from the NFL, but were still going to maybe have trouble getting into games the year before because you just had so much talent and. At the same time, at the same time, when Kerry Combs saw that guy coming at cornerback, sometimes that guy got into the rotation earlier than people would have expected because he would say, no, you don't understand. Like, yes, you already know how good these two guys are, but this guy is that good too. You just haven't seen it yet. And then over time you would see it. So I'm open to that too, I suppose, this year, that if Matthews takes that kind of a jump, that now it's a three-man rotation. I think that's something that would probably maybe develop over time more than something that we'll see being evident this spring. I'm on alert for Jermaine Matthews' place, and it's a three-man rotation through two spots. And we saw it the first game against Indiana when they weren't necessarily needing Jordan Hancock to play that nickel role because how Indiana decided to play that game. 
where it was you were on for two and you and you were off for one. And it was him, Davidson, Igmanos, and Denzel Burke. If Jordan Hancock's going to be inside in that nickel position full time now, and Jermaine Matthews, who flashed a lot as a true freshman and is now going through his second full offseason here, and you have to play 16 games, I'm on alert for it. Calvin Simpson Hunt is the interesting one here just because he didn't get here until June, and so he's going through his first offseason. So maybe – He's another year away from just being able to contribute just because the room is so deep. But I'm, I'm on alert for especially since Denzel Burke's had his fair share of injuries over the last three years. So you, you might need to just manage that anyway. So I'm on alert that he plays a lot of snaps. OK, here's my idea. We talk a lot about Sonny Styles' versatility and how he can just be Sonny Styles. I don't think you can have a lot of players on the field at the same time whose position is just who they are. But Caleb Downs is awesome. I was like watching stuff on him as I was preparing for this pod. That dude is awesome everywhere you put him he played free safety for alabama at times now we always say take the pff snaps for with a grain of salt especially the snap count because it's not always when you don't completely know 100 what a, a, a team scheme is it's not always easy to to understand where a guy's supposed to line up versus where he ended up lining up as you you know rotate all over the place but he played 890 snaps for alabama last year 285 of them he played in the box so that's like strong safety stuff 287 of them he played as the free safety, and he played 268 of them in the slot. And as a matter of fact, from the Chattanooga, Auburn, Georgia, and Michigan games, he actually spent more of his time in the slot than anywhere else. So to your point, Nathan, of who else could play that nickel role from a coverage standpoint and you feel comfortable with them, I think Caleb Downs can do a lot of things, and I won't be shocked if he's like out there playing nickel sometimes, depending on who the team is. Or if you go dime, if you're two inside guys or Jordan Hancock and Caleb Downs, and you still feel comfortable about Malik Hartford, those are your back safeties. I don't think that's shocking either, but I think I'm open to anything else, anything with Caleb Downs when you're talking about those three safety spots because that dude was awesome, and he was awesome regardless of where Alabama put him last year. No, I think that's that's a fair point, especially if you trust Malik Hartford enough. If you think that because because last year they were like talking about trusting him a lot, <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like when you take your kid aside and you're like, uh, whatever. Yeah. Not for mine. He still doesn't do anything. But like someday when it's like their their responsibilities are growing around the house, right? And you're like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, I think maybe this summer it's going to be your turn to start uh, mowing the lawn or whatever. Like that's kind of what they were with Malik Harford, and he was a little bit of a savant because he got there faster. But like you yeah. saw it when they like put him on the field to start the Youngstown State game, and all of a sudden he wasn't in the game anymore. And he did get some more opportunities later in the season when I think it was more a little bit on schedule for him. And I'm, this is not me talking him down at all because I thought he, he showed great things as a, as a true freshman. But if you trust him, then, yeah, I think it does give you another option to sort of bridge the gap between someone who is has all the skills that you would ask for from that nickel but then also is maybe a little bit more suited for the, the heavy hitter stuff than, than Jordan Hancock would be. So you can change that alignment. Again, this is where this is what this defense has been trying to get back to for so long is getting to where you have a fourth, fifth option in a collection like that, a corner at safety, who in a pinch you can adjust things and not feel like you're falling off that much. There is one other there is one other nickel thing that I wanted to throw out there. As we talk about this kind of line between safety and linebacker and where things get melded a little there's one guy who's still hanging out there who they have not found the right role for and i don't know if this would necessarily work the same way that styles and hancock did because 
you'd be talking about this guy as essentially a starter, and I, I just don't know if that's there. But in the 21 Rose Bowl, Court Williams was essentially playing what the nickel Sam is now against Utah. Yeah. And he did pretty well, actually. And he just can't yeah. stop getting hurt. And I don't know if he's going to be participating this spring. I don't, I don't, I have to check in on his timeline. I don't know where things stand with him and what that means for projecting him into the season. But when they need a bigger body there, if they, if they're fully committed to styles playing in the box and becoming, you know, especially if it's going to involve like gaining some weight to stick it at Mike then, or at will, I'm, I'm sorry, then, then maybe Williams is the guy who against the Iowas against the other like run uh, heavy teams is the guy who you put at nickel safety to get a more stout body there. I just, I think it's going to depend on where he's at in his recovery. Like the ACLs are uh, tricky and there's a wide range of, of comeback times we have seen over the years and guys who try to come back too early and it doesn't work out. And, uh, so we'll see where he's at, but that's another thought that I had. I don't think I even listed him in my too deep, but that's where he would go. I think is Sam, which they, which they don't really use anymore, except in that capacity. I think you put him at will, but it was the second stream because I you did. had Sonny the- and CJ as the, or yeah. just, but just to have somebody who was second there, um, we didn't talk about Gabe Powers at all, but I just—he's clearly fourth in the hierarchy right now, and it's—it's it's fine that he's fourth in the hierarchy. It's fine. But but maybe that but that's, maybe that changes. That's, that's the example of where I'm open to a guy, where the, because the opportunity really hasn't been there. But I'm open to the idea right. that like they show up in the spring and they're like, oh wait, he was a top 100 guy. Now yeah. Cody Simon was actually a fairly high prospect too, coming out of high school. Like not 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 five star by any means, but like in that same range. So, mm-hmm. and, and he has the experience and, and the, the, the major game reps to go along with it too. That's just, that's an example of where I'm open to like somebody having an eye opening spring and maybe demanding more playing time. I'm going to let you go in a minute, Andrew. I just want to address the, the court Williams part of this. That's hard, man. It's, I just don't know if it's going to happen here and it's unfortunate. Yep. It's, but the, he's clearly had an impact on the program. The guy was a captain in 2022, and just like Ryan Day said he would be when they they had that 2020 sign day, he said, "Hey man, I told that guy he's going to be captain here one day," and he made him profit. And, it, and depending on how they do the captains this year, whether they stick with the three like they did this past year, if they go back to like the six they've had in years past, I think he might be a captain again, or at least be in the conversation for that. But I just I look at him and I think about Cam Bab, and it's kind of the same way where and Cam Bab even more to the point because you would hear players say, "Yo, Cam might be like the best dude in this room." It's like, yeah, but he can't stay healthy. But, yeah, this dude's, like, making ridiculous catches, like, all the time whenever he's healthy. And it's unfortunate with Cameron Babb. We never got to see it. He clearly left his mark on this program. In fact, I think he's still working within the program even after he's graduated. So he's still around. But it's unfortunate we never got to see it. With Court Williams, it's been this combination of he got here at the time when we thought they were going to play the bullet, and they didn't play a bullet. And also just injuries have maybe derailed his career where it's just – I just don't see it at this point. And I'd be happily surprised for sure. You, you root for kids and you hope they have an opportunity to play the game that they love. But it, that's just hard for me to get around. But, Andrew, what do you think, man? Caleb Downs, put him anywhere you like, depending on what you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, I I really wish he played corner so that we could do something like like Downs Island or something like that where just you could just recreate Revis Island. 
but for Dude, Downs Domain, Downs Domain, you know, when he's in zone. Ooh. Ooh. No, no, no. So, so we might be talking with some of the newcomers pretty soon here. No one's allowed to tell him. I'm gonna. I'm, I want to be the one to tell him about that. I want to be the one to tell him, just so he can look at me like I'm crazy. But then he'll remember me as a guy as who gave him like the cool nickname. I don't hate that. Good Downs Domain. But yeah, I mean that. Like I mentioned this on a pod. I think before we even knew he was coming to Ohio State or whatever, I right around when we – right, it was the reaction pod to it, whatever it was. Yeah. I said that this is a Minka Fitzpatrick, Kyle Hamilton-level player. Like this is a player who maybe he doesn't go as high in the draft because safety position is kind of devalued in the NFL and that's fine. But this is a player who you look at and you're like, okay, he's got two years at Ohio State and then he's going to go pro. And then he's going to be an all pro for a bunch of years in the NFL. Like that's the kind of level of player that you're talking about. And when you have him, he just allows you to do so much because he, he just erases problems that you could have elsewhere. He just like any kind of issue that you might have, you, it, it might not be as big of a deal or a deal at all because, Hey, guess what? You have probably the best safety in the country at the backstop of everything. And I think, you know, we mentioned freelance type stuff. Um, I think that like with Sonny Styles, I think with Caleb Downs, you feel in a different type of way better about that because you can just say, hey man, go like, here's your responsibility. You can just take away more grass than everybody else. And what he can do for you is so much more than just, hey, look, I watched him make a great interception or, hey, look, I watched him make this great play. It's the things that he frees up for everybody else just because there's not a lot of space that he can't cover. It's really hard to understate what having his – or really hard to overstate, excuse me, what um, what having his ability on the back end does for Ohio State. Uh, yeah, the, the impact on this depth chart is pretty significant. Because if Downs doesn't transfer in, you're looking at some combination of Jihad Carter and Malik Hartford as your mm-hmm. adjuster next year, probably. And I think they can get capable play out of that, but they're not going to get Caleb Downs play out of that. Yeah. Like, sorry, guys. It's just, it's, this is a different level of, of football player, at least at this stage of his career. Um, and in, in his case, maybe, maybe ever. So now you get to take those two guys. It just, it, you look at a, you look at the, depth chart so much differently when now you say oh and now those two guys are in the mix backing up multiple spots and you like their versatility you like that you know especially Harper could play both of them I think Carter they think could maybe play all three like you give Mm -hmm. yourself some some actual quality depth and because you're turning over yet another starting spot to a guy who is like he would go to the NFL after next year if he could I think they're gonna make him wait oh, that yeah. extra year because oh, there's yeah. the rules. But 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 like if he'll be the one exception to the rule, the guy who can't go yet, but might be the best football player in the group. We'll find out. Is he the best defensive player in the Big Ten right now? Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I think it's. I don't want to no, get so out I, over I, our skis too much. I'm, I'm, but, yeah, I'm genuinely asking. He because he, he's at least in the conversation. I, I I'm I'm genuinely asking. I'm not just saying that to hype him up. Just genuinely speaking, how I'm many other remember, returning like, players in the de- on the defensive? Maybe Will, Will, Johnson. Will Johnson's in that conversation. Yeah. Obviously, I, I'm, I'm just, just trying to I'm remember. Trying to think. I'm trying to remember returning defensive players in the big. So, the, no, there's, yeah. some, there's some on his own team. 
Denzel Burke, JT Tumaloa, Jack Sawyer, Tyreek yeah. Williams. But that's man, that's a lot of list of guys I just named off from one defense. Um, so there's probably there are, there are probably some others that deserve to be mm-hmm. in that conversation, but to, it's more just looking at it from the Ohio State perspective. It'd be one thing if this was like we'd be talking like think about 2020, 2021 when I was what I was saying before. You drop a Caleb Downs into those defenses and it makes a difference because he would have solved like you're saying, Andrew. He actually would have solved a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Well. This defense doesn't project to have a lot of problems, and you still dropped. It's like given the it's like given the valedictorian the the answer sheet, like when, when you, uh, or the the guy with 180 IQ the answer sheet. Like what you've you've covered all your bases here. Like then that I don't want. We have to be a little bit careful. Like we're talking about they're not going to get a shutout every week. Blah blah blah. But. Like, what do you mean they're not going to get a shutout every week? Why not, Nathan? Why can't they hang yeah, a zero? They, might not, I, they don't play I'm Iowa. Every, yeah. I'm not going to guarantee they get a shutout at all next year. The shutouts are hard, man. Yeah, they're they're exactly. a difficult thing yeah. to accomplish. Teams so. might take pity field goals because it's uh, you might have what was it, Michigan or, State or Michigan or, State or Minnesota they kicked a pity field goal. And or your offense just might make a mistake. Oh, that, that's what happened okay. in 2022. In 2022, Ohio State's offense made a brutal mistake, and so well, Iowa yeah, got but, a touchdown out of it. So it's like shutouts are hard, man. That's that's yeah, but if you're talking about just from the defensive side, but still, oh, I, yeah. I, I'm just saying it's. I think we need to we need. We're not talking about this in an outlandish way yet, um, <laughs> but it, we we could probably border on it a little bit. But it it it's one of those things where like I have to catch myself because just when you look at it on paper, it's like Ohio State was already look at that look at that take Caleb Downs off of it and say I just put Malik Hartford on there. Does it change whether or not you're saying? this might be the best defense in the country. No. Like on paper, it still might be the best defense in the country. And now you just dropped Caleb. You just dropped a second team All-American on it. Not a freshman All-American. Like freshman All-American. Second team All-American on it. One of the four or five best safeties in the country last year by the consensus of two like major lists. You just dropped it in the back end of a defense that didn't need that help. Downs had a team high for Alabama, 107 t- total tackles. 70 of them were solo, which is impressive in its own right. 70 solo tackles. His PFF numbers from last year, he had an 85.6 defensive grade. That's high level. His rush def- his run defense grade was 78.8, tapping grade 80.3. The pass rushing grade, a measly 51.4, but this is a safety we're talking about, so who cares? His coverage grade, and that's why I brought him up in this nickel conversation, 88.9. So he can get it done in those situations. This has gone from adding him has gone from is this maybe the best defense in the country to could this team potentially put itself in the conversation where we get to the end of next year and we're going, let's look at some of the best defenses we've seen in the past decade. Where does Ohio State stack up from that? Just because they've got that level of talent. That's not hyper, that's serious. This is a dude who has a true freshman, 18 years old, was a second team All American. And so he's only going to get better from that. The last thing I want to bring up before we end this pod is just because they brought in a safety transfer last year in Jihad Carter from Syracuse, who had a lot of experience, and it just never happened for him. He got injured in spring camp, and maybe that set him back. And then I think he was dealing with something during the year, Nathan, and it set him back as well. But it just seems like, I mean, you just wouldn't put cherries on top of what you already thought was the starters were going to be. What's is there a role for him in twenty twenty four? Just right well, now, no, how he, we're talking about things. He's he's quality depth. I mean, he's a guy who has started mm-hmm. at Power Five level before, and yeah. I this is not it's not a bad thing. Like this is, you can't really look down on players like this. This has to be your your second string when it's guys mm-hmm. who would start for a lot of teams 
Like this is how championship teams are built when there's guys who know that they could be starting for a lot of other teams, but they're here to do the things that Ohio State needs. Like that's that's how championship teams have been built here in the past, and that's what this one would need to be about. And I do think um in the case of, of Carter also, I think Knowles's it, it's also you're you're gauging it, you're judging you're making judgments based on the other guys. It's not necessarily a judgment based on his talents alone. So for instance, we thought he might be in the mix at nickel coming into last year. Because obviously McAllister left, they had that spot wide open. But then they decide that that's where Styles could fit the best, and then Hancock emerged as a guy they wanted to use there. Like it, all those things are sort of irrespective of Carter, and then Ransom being healthy, and then the way Proctor. I think that was the one that caught them a little by surprise when Jay when 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 Carter transferred in. I don't know that there was a guarantee that Josh Proctor was going to still be in the program by the mm-hmm. start of the next season, let alone stay healthy and play the best football of his career. So once that happened, it boxed him out a little bit, right? So mm-hmm. I I think that was the kind of a dual dynamic there. And I think Carter was in the mix. I mean, it would have been a battle with him and Hartford, I think, this spring and into the preseason maybe to decide who was going to start at adjuster, except, whoops, we'll, t- we'll take Caleb Downs instead. Oh, no, we have to upgrade at this role and go get the best player in the portal. Ohio State got the number one guy in the transfer portal. They got the number – one recruit as well. That's a pretty impressive well, offseason. I mean, technically, of other stuff they got. technically, it's Julian Sand too. So it's like the number one freshman recruit uh, was say you got the number one quarterback. So do you want to classify that as a as a transfer? Uh, uh, I guess I don't know. I Whatever don't know. it is, yeah, it's number one in everything. He's like a nah, flips for yeah, yeah. It's more than a flip, but less than a transfer, even though it's technically <laughs> a flip. Mm. I, I think Nathan Bear just it's coined a, a new, like coined a new phrase. So with, I it's actually, Quinn Ewers, but with a shorter time. He actually uh, Quinn Ewers had actually unpacked here. It's that um, Simpsons meme where you're in the door and you walk right back out the door. I actually did that in <laughs> middle school. Once. Simpson at the brothel. Yeah. That's exactly I, I did that in middle school for sixth grade. I started off at one school. At and a was there for like. No, 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 no. The whole go in and walk right back. The whole Julian Sand thing, how he was on his campus for like two days or something like that. No, not at a brothel. Wow. Anyway, the point of the story was in sixth grade, I started off at one middle school and was there for literally 14 days and walked right back out and transferred to another middle school. And there's, I mean, you'd have to ask my parents about that, why it worked out that way, because I don't know those details. I was like 12 at that point. But so I understand, Julian, sometimes you get there, you look around and you go, let me go over here instead. And because things happen, right? But we'll get more into the offensive stuff on the Friday pot. That was the defensive projection. It was less of a projection of the starters and more of a conversation, which I thought was a better conversation about how we think this might look as we head into the spring. Obviously, things will continue to develop over the next nine months, but it was a good first place to start for us here in January. Get the text 614-350-3315. You get news, you get analysis, you get surveys you get everything that you could possibly want it's two weeks free and then it's 399 after that 614-350-3315 for nathan baird and for andrew gillis i'm stephen means and that was buckeye talk